Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. All right, crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Week two of the NBA season. Can you feel that excitement, Beck? Oh, I can feel it. <laughs> I, can, I can feel something. I feel guys getting more shots in their arms. We've got fewer holdouts suddenly. That's probably a positive sign as we inch closer to the season. Yep, more than uh, 95% of the NBA is vaccinated. Andrew Wiggins has been vaccinated. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the show when we talk about one guy that is still uncertain, that being uh, Kyrie Irving. We've got a great show uh, today, Back Not only are you and I going to get into a lot of different topics, but your old friend Shaquille O'Neal is going to join the show a little bit later on. I already taped the interview with Shaq, but I can tell you, Shaq did ask for you. He did ask, where is Howard? So the relationship you guys forged over however many years in Los Angeles, uh, it still uh, it still is there. Where's, where's my guy Beck? What'd you do yeah. to him? <laughs> you're kind of talking like uh, what you're talking about Willis there. That's, that's a I, may have, I should have probably done that a little slower. Shaq's pace is a little bit more methodical. It however, got to get it. But, I hope you got at least one good however. Yeah, I got a couple. Um, he, Shaq was great. We talked about the uh, the evolution of the big man in today's game. We talked a lot about Ben Simmons. He had some strong opinions about the Simmons situation, which is still evolving 
in Philadelphia. We're going to get to that here as well. But I want to begin this week, Howard, with the Lakers. Last week, we covered everything that happened on the Monday media day. We taped our episode before the Lakers had their media day. Uh, And it was interesting for a couple of different reasons. One, you had... uh, you know, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook talking about the fit. And I want to jump right in with one of the key quotes that I took away from LeBron's media availability. Someone in the in the Lakers press corps asked LeBron what he expects from Russell Westbrook. Here's what he had to say. Um, as far as Russ, um, we need Russ to be Russ. We don't need Russ to change for anybody. That's why we got him. Um, you know, and it's our job to all help him feel comfortable in our system. Um, you know, and he's going to be as dynamic as he's always been, you know, so I look forward to that. So LeBron seems to think that the Westbrook we've seen over the last few years, post Kevin Durant, Oklahoma city, Westbrook, Houston, Westbrook, Washington, Westbrook is the Westbrook that this team uh, is expecting. And this team needs That immediately raised some red flags for me, Howard, because I just don't see how a player who is consistently one of the top two or three players in the NBA in usage rating can coexist with two other players who are in the top 25 in usage rating without making a substantial change to his game. So give me your takeaway from the Lakers media day and kind of what some of the things they said about playing with Russell Westbrook? Let Russ be Russ has been the theme of Russ's career for both good and bad, right? Letting Russ be Russ means he's going to put up astronomical numbers. It means he's going to be exciting as hell. It means he's going to be relentlessly attacking the basket. It means he's going to get your team, even if it's just him as the only star, he's going to get your team in, in the playoffs pretty much every year on sheer force of will and and his tenacity. So let Russ be Russ to that extent is great, but it has a limit. And we've seen that limit. It usually is a first round playoff exit. It's low efficiency scoring on high usage. And it's kind of playing one way, a way that caters to Russ's game. Each time he's moved playing with Bradley Beal before that playing with James Harden, you think, well, what's he going to do to adjust his game to make it either more efficient, a little maybe you know, just a little bit less, a few fewer three-point attempts, especially at fourth quarters per game, he'd be more efficient. So maybe just ratchet down your usage and it might benefit your team because you're still going to create all kinds of space around you because teams are going to collapse to try to stop you from getting to the rack. But he's not ever really made that adjustment. All right, so this is the true test though, Chris. This is it because Russell Westbrook is playing with one of the greatest, if not the greatest players of all time, and a guy who is a phenomenal playmaker himself in LeBron. He's playing with the second elite talent, a top five level talent in Anthony Davis. If he's not going to reel back now, if Westbrook is not going to make some kind of concession now, then he never is. And if he's not going to make that concession, I'll go one step further. Then the Lakers are maybe not going to get where they need to go because the version of Russ that we've seen the last few years can't work with the Lakers because those are going to be possessions taken away from Anthony Davis who's a much higher efficiency scorer, and away from LeBron, who's a much higher efficiency scorer and a better playmaker. So I'm not saying it can't work, but like most people around the league that you and I have spoken to, 
I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical because it's going to require a more constrained version of Russell Westbrook. And I'm not saying he's incapable of that. We saw James Harden do it in Brooklyn last season after a lot of skepticism there. Everybody can make an adjustment. But until you do, we have a right to be skeptical that you're going to. My question is, Howard, what kind of change could we possibly expect? I mean, Westbrook is a career 30% three-point shooter. Last year, he shot 31% from three. The year before that in Houston, he shot 26% from three. He's not going to evolve into a three-point shooter. It's not going to happen at this stage of his career. So, I mean, let Russ be Russ might be the only option the Lakers have. I mean, yes, he will kickstart their transition offense, which was not what they hoped for last season. He will be very good at that. But when the game gets in the half court, he's got to have the ball in his hands. Because if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, I'm not sure what use he is to that team offensively. Team defenses are going to naturally drag off him. You know, whoever's defending Westbrook is going to be kind of in the paint, daring Westbrook to shoot from three-point range. I'm not sure what adjustment is there, are you? Because he's just not going to become something more than he is right now. And I agree with you. You put Russell Westbrook on a team of on a team that without him would be like bottom five in the league, he can will them into the playoffs. He's that good, and he's that capable of carrying a team. But the flip side of that coin is you put him on this type of team where he's got to be more of an off-the-ball player, where he's got to be a better perimeter shooter. There are going to be times when Russell Westbrook is a liability. Yes, to all of that. But... I'm not going to say that it's impossible for him to adapt in ways that could benefit the Lakers, right? Uh, The one most obvious one, play him as much as possible without LeBron on the court, right? Get some Westbrook, Anthony Davis stuff going. Get some Westbrook and just bench crew going. Maximize his playmaking potential and his ability to break down a defense and get to the rack and, and, and create open shots for other guys. Do that as much as possible on that, on that second unit. So now you solve one of the Lakers' problems over the last couple of years since they've gotten LeBron, which is when LeBron goes to the bench, offense falls off a cliff, there's nobody to make plays. Um, now you've got Westbrook. You also you have Rondo's back, obviously. But they should be able to sustain a much higher level of offense without LeBron on the court. And if, and if let's say LeBron gets hurt again because he's going to be 37 in December and he's, he's taking longer to come back from injuries. He misses any time at all, Chris. They have a, a phenomenal backup plan in having Westbrook there it's yeah, more about I get that I get yeah. that that's great in the regular season and right you know that's great for three and a half quarters but what happens in the final six minutes of a yes game? who is out there on the floor and how do you right. make it work without having somebody's ego massively bruised that person most likely being Russell Westbrook because you're gonna have LeBron on the floor you can have AD on the floor uh, you can certainly adjust for that by doing what I think the Lakers are going to do which is play Anthony Davis at center a lot more. I mean, Davis was asked about playing center at media day. He kind of had this word salad type of answer where he understands he's going to have to play more center, but there are going to be a lot of times he's not playing center. Um, It's sort of a weird thing. It's something I'm going to be, I'm looking forward to watch in the early stages of the season because Rob Palenka has said that the reason they went out and brought Dwight Howard back and got DeAndre Jordan is that a year ago when they won a championship, Um, this was a team that succeeded with two kind of bruising big men in the middle that that could bang a little bit. Um, That's fine, but with this team, if DeAndre or Dwight 
is out on the floor with Anthony Davis. That means LeBron is the small forward. And then you basically have one shooter from the Wayne Ellington, Kent Bazemore, Trevor Reza, you know, pick your player uh, from that group. And that defense is going to figure that out. They're going to figure it out. Good teams are not going to get beat by that type of lineup. I just, I just don't know. I'm just very curious to see what kind of rotations Frank Vogel comes up with in the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, and to that point, um, and to my earlier point about bench units, I don't really want a bench unit with Westbrook and DeAndre Jordan or Westbrook and Dwight Howard because that's that's two non-shooters, and you're going to make life a lot more difficult for everybody around them. So, uh, you know, they've it's not got like some... AD is this great shooter either. So if like well, you know you no, throw him into that mix, fine. But you're going to respect him away from the basket and even out to three point range in a way that you don't even have to think about with Dwight or DeAndre. So. Yeah, the other piece of this is a lot of Westbrook's inefficiency, and especially his fourth quarter inefficiency, the, the time when he has sometimes sunk his teams or at least handicapped them, is because he's jacking up you know, shots in transition. He's jacking up threes. He's just taking shots that are, that are low-percentage shots for Russell Westbrook. All he has to do, Chris, in my mind, is eliminate a few of those, and especially in fourth quarters, because he's going to still be a threat to get to the basket. I mean, the problem to me is, is more this. In the, in the critical minutes of a close game, you want the ball in LeBron James's hands more than you want it in Russ's hands, but Russ does not really do much off the ball, and his defender is going to sink, and that's going to mm-hmm. clog things up for, for LeBron and AD. So like, that's a part you got to figure out. You're right. I'm not expecting Russell Westbrook to suddenly transform into a 38% three-point shooter in year whatever this is just because he's with the Lakers. I'm not expecting much to change about him at all. Maybe he'll amp up his defensive intensity a little bit, being around LeBron and AD and all that. Like, that's that's possible. Yep. But he's not going to turn into a shooter overnight, but he can eliminate bad shots. No one's forcing him to take those shots. No one was forcing him to take them before. Cut out a few of those, and the rest of his game that is so valuable in terms of playmaking and rebounding and attacking the basket, you can still get the most out of that. I don't doubt... Russell Westbrook's desire to win at the highest level. I don't doubt even Westbrook's willingness to change because it may have been subtle, but you look at that year in Houston, (laughs) excuse me, he did make some adjustments playing alongside James Harden. You look at last year in Washington, he did make some adjustments playing alongside Bradley Beal. Now, none of those adjustments are even close to the kind of adjustments he's going to have to make playing alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So I think Westbrook is going to try, but if he continues to be a low 30 or below three-point shooter, I don't know how you're going to be able to keep him on the floor with this group in the fourth quarter of games. I think you're more likely to want LeBron to be the de facto point guard and surround him by those other shooters that are out there. Keep Davis at that five spot. That is probably the Lakers' most efficient fourth-quarter lineup as we look at it on paper. Now, maybe things shake out differently when the season starts, but this is going to be a challenge for Frank Vogel trying to figure out the spots to put Russ in. I think he can be a huge asset, to your point. Second and third quarters, LeBron comes off the floor, give him needed rest, uh, let Russ be Russ during those stretches. But if that game is close in the fourth and you're deciding on a rotation— I just don't see it yet. I don't see how LeBron, Russ, and AD are are the Lakers' best offensive lineup in the fourth quarter. And I hate to say it, Chris, but I mean, I really do think that 
to the extent that the Lakers made a choice here on Westbrook instead of Buddy Heald. Yeah. Um, Heald was obviously... They did. The, the, they did. They did make yeah. a choice. I mean, that's a reality. Heald, Heald was the cleaner fit. Not, you know, lower ceiling than Westbrook, but the cleaner fit, the more logical fit, especially when you're talking about closing games and wanting the ball in West, in, uh, in LeBron's hands. And what shooter right what shooter has not thrived off of LeBron James? Oh, I mean, yeah. How, we talked about this a few podcasts ago, but how many years did Kyle Korver's career get extended by playing off of LeBron? I mean, for sure. Buddy, Buddy Heald, I think, would have been excellent in L.A. I'm not going to say I, that this is the only reason that they did it, but I will just, uh, you know, allude to this because I think it keeps getting forgotten. LeBron's first year in L.A., he only played 55 out of 82 games because of the groin injury. Um, he played 67 out of 72 in the pandemic shortened season of 2019-20, right? The year they win the championship. But think about what had to happen there. He went, he plays all but five games. There were three months off. I mean, LeBron might have benefited more than anybody from the downtime from when the, the, the NBA had to stop play to when they picked up in the bubble. So I'm not asterisking anything there. I'm just saying we have to consider that he, he got a three-month break in the middle of a season at this late stage in his career that matters. We go back to a normal-ish season last year, 72 games, and he played 45 with, because of the high ankle sprain and was not healthy in the playoffs. So 55 of 82, 67 of 72 in a season that was interrupted, and then 45 of 72. I'm not saying it's the only reason you go out and get Westbrook, but there's a good chance that, that LeBron, who turns, again, 37 in December, year 19, if he's not going to get through the season, if you think that there's a decent chance that you've got to either cut down his minutes or that there's going to be some nagging injury here or there that you just don't want to don't want to push through when you're trying to play for June, Westbrook's a really nice insurance policy and he's a that's a very expensive one at 42, 44 million whatever it is, but having a the luxury of a playmaker and initiator at that level, an offensive force at that level, it's not a small thing. You do got to get through th- through the season, but you're right. Ultimately, in May and June, the discussion we're going to be having is how are they using him in the fourth quarter and is it working? Yeah, I, I think in a way, you've, you've basically eliminated back-to-backs for LeBron because if you're playing like Detroit or Orlando or you know, Minnesota in the second end of a back-to-back or first end of a back-to-back, you can feel pretty confident you can win that regular season game by resting LeBron and playing Russell Westbrook. That's a, that's a big thing for them. And I'll just throw in one more point just to kind of put a cap on this from my end. You know, when we talk about, you know, like expectations for the Lakers, right? It's championship or bust. Every year it's championship or bust. Even in their bad years, they were championship or bust. That's just how L.A. is with the Lakers. And LeBron is championship or bust for his entire career, too. That's just the way it goes. The good news for the Lakers is whatever flaws you and I and anybody else in the league might see about Westbrook and his fit and, you know, talk about the age of of the rotation, all that stuff. The field is not that intimidating in the West right now. It's a lot of good, but not overpowering. And so Phoenix, really, really good team. But I don't. I, are the Lakers going to fear Phoenix or the star power there? No. Utah, good, but not overpowering. Denver, are they going to get Jamal Murray back? And at that point, you might start to worry. The Clippers, are they going to get Kawhi Leonard back? Dallas, Portland. I mean, who in this field are the Lakers really fearing if the Lakers are at full strength in the playoffs? Uh, that's that's the bottom line there. Like there's they're they're not going to face the kind of resistance that you might have in a different year. They may not face you know a, a truly star laden team until the finals in Brooklyn, assuming that Brooklyn makes it. How dare you disrespect the Jazz like that? <laughs> Show notes, Howard Beck. 
hates the jazz. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to get into the jazz a little bit later in this podcast. I do want to touch, though, on the 76ers. Uh, The Sixers did everything they could to uh, try to entice Ben Simmons back on media day, said all the right things. Joel Embiid said he wanted to play with him. Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey said they wanted him back. Teammates lined up to say how much they wanted to play with Ben Simmons. That th- Those good vibrations, Howard, were short-lived in Philadelphia. There was a report in The Athletic during the week that indicated that Ben Simmons felt that the partnership with Joel Embiid had effectively plateaued. Uh, that was brought to Embiid's attention during one of his media availabilities, and Embiid said this. 
our teams have always been built around his needs. Uh, so it was kind of surprising to see, you know, what was said that even going back to, uh, I mean, the reason we signed out is, you know, we got rid of Jimmy, which I still think it was a mistake, uh, just to make sure that, you know, we, he, he, won, he needed the ball in his hands and, you know, that's the decision that made. So I'll put it to you this way, Howard. Did things get better or worse for a reconciliation between the Sixers and Ben Simmons this week? I'm going to say neither. (laughs) I'm going with option C, none of the above. Well, because of this, I mean, yes, they were trying to make some kind of appeal to him on, you know, the start of the week and uh, media day last week. Doc is trying to tell us all that we didn't hear what we actually heard and Everybody's trying to make nice, say we still would welcome Ben back. Ben Simmons already made the decision he's not coming back. I'm not sure anything else they said the rest of the week or or Embiid saying things that were obviously um, in some form a critique of Ben Simmons or dismissive in, in some ways of Simmons. Like Nothing else that they say matters. He, like Every bit of reporting we have seen is that he ain't coming back. He ain't playing for them again. He's not showing up. Nothing is going to change that. So I'm not sure it matters what they say at this point, Chris. Like it, it's it's immaterial. Um, but also, by the way, Joel Embiid in that whatever's four and a half minute answer, though he said some things that could be taken as slights against Simmons, he also said we're many times we're better with him than without him. So you know he's he's not trying to just completely dismiss him. But I don't think it matters what the Sixers say or what they feel or what they're attempting. Ben Simmons has made up his mind. He's not coming back. So get better or worse, it's it's it's, it's a draw to me. Um, things just are what they are at this stage. It's a stalemate. Yeah, I, I do think it got worse, though. And you can say it doesn't matter, but Embiid basically coming out and said, we've spent the years building around the talents of Ben Simmons uh, doesn't make things better. That's for sure. And I do love that he basically put the departure of Jimmy Butler at the feet of Ben Simmons. I think we both know it's not that simple. Butler had issues with Brett Brown. Um, there was no guarantee he was going to come back uh, anyway. But, you know, MB kind of putting it out there that he wanted Jimmy Butler back and indicating at least that Ben Simmons uh, didn't want to play with that kind of player. Um, you know, when I talk to different team executives, I pretty consistently hear that they are hoping the Sixers hold their ground here. And, and look, maybe Ben Simmons will never come back to Philadelphia. That seems to be the most likely uh, way this plays out. But there were executives that I talked to that were happy that the Sixers put that $8 million plus lump payment into escrow and effectively are using it to dock Ben Simmons um, his pay while he's out, you know, which will really start to get going as we get into preseason games and, of course, into the regular season. Um, there are, uh, I, I, most teams I've talked to, even ones that aren't kind of thrilled with the way Daryl Morey does business. And there are a few of them. There, there are execs that get exasperated sometimes by some of the deals Daryl proposes. Um, even those people, they're hoping Philadelphia stands their ground here. They, they don't want to see a precedent set where a guy can hold out. He can get what he wants and still get all his money and still get every nickel that he's owed on his contract. Now, if Ben Simmons gets traded in three months, certainly if his representatives go to the team and say, look, why don't you pay Ben his whole salary? Maybe they will as a gesture of goodwill 
towards Ben Simmons. But this, what the Sixers have done has is, is the first step in doing all they can to ensure that Ben Simmons doesn't get paid his full salary this season. I, I There are teams out there cheering Philadelphia on, on this because they don't want to see a precedent set where Simmons... You know, Simmons can do this, and then maybe it opens the door for other players to do this with multiple years left in their contract and creates the kind of headache that that teams don't want to have. No, you don't want this to become the new normal. Um, and you you don't want a guy to be able to do it without any consequence and a financial consequence. You can't just not show up, not fulfill your contract. And for no good reason, by the way. I mean, I think I've already said this maybe twice in the last week on, on the Friday show when I had on your own Weitzman and Jake Fisher to talk about the Sixers. Might have even talked about it when you and I last spoke. It's hard to remember what I said when, but I, I'll say it again. There's no good reason for Ben Simmons to be gone. I don't care how much his feelings are hurt. I don't care how much he doesn't like the fact that Embiid is more the number one option and he thinks he'd be better off. So I don't care that, that you can't just not fulfill your contract and not show up because you don't feel like you're being properly appreciated or catered to that's preposterous and if that were the standard then yeah we'd have holdouts all over the league and you can't have that um i'm not even sure by the way as a logical matter here with regard to the cba and contracts this idea that ben simmons once he gets traded he'll get all the back pay that the sixers are withholding that's never been the case in any trade ever the team that that you are employed by at the time that those paychecks are due is responsible for those paychecks. And then after you get traded, the new team is responsible for the paychecks every day thereafter. I don't see how the Minnesota Timberwolves or something, whoever acquire him in January, can give him his back pay for October when he wasn't showing well, up for the team. Let me ask you this then. Let me by. ask this then, Howard. Do, do you think there's a breaking point for Ben Simmons? Because you know, we can sit here and say, ah, guy's rich, made $100 million, whatever he's made in his career. I mean, he's owed $33 million this season. Like, I, I wonder if at some point he says, I, I, I got to get back. And now maybe there's a plan B where Simmons comes back and says he's injured. And you know, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a, another level to all this. But I got to imagine as resolute as Ben Simmons and his representatives are at this point, there's got to be a point where they're like, maybe – we bluffed and they called maybe we do they just don't they don't have the hand here Howard like they don't, I don't think they, so I, I don't see how they do because I mean this isn't like a even if he's willing to sit out an entire year which I don't believe uh he's got three more years after that left on the contract so what are you gonna do sit out four years and I don't even know what the I was asking around and I don't think anybody's I, I haven't got a definitive answer but like it's not like if he sits out the season he gets credit for the contract like I think it would roll over again but that's another, that's, yeah. again, we're in kind of unprecedented territory here. Um, I, I just wonder where that line is. Like, at what point does Ben Simmons say, okay, uh, I've lost the $8 million that I was supposed to get paid this season. The Sixers are going to dock me even more at the next big payday point. I, I wonder if he has a breaking point when it comes to this, because that's a lot. I don't care who you are, how much you make, that is a lot of money that he is now losing in real time. So we haven't heard from Ben Simmons, obviously, and we haven't heard directly from his representation. But when things get leaked out about what Ben Simmons' intentions are, you can bet it came from his camp and, and people very close to this situation who are calling these shots. Maybe it's a bluff, but they have put out there that he's willing to, to sit out the whole season. 
That's got to be a bluff. It's I don't, just got to right. be a bluff. I'm with you. I, I don't buy that either. Um, and we we know how much the money matters because in another case, Andrew Wiggins just got the COVID vaccine because he was going to have to give up whatever it was, 16, 18 million a year uh, for the season if he didn't play in any home games for the Warriors, right? I hate to say that it's just about the money, but like what else was motivating Andrew Wiggins who clearly, clearly, clearly did not want to do this otherwise? Maybe it was some sense of duty to his team and his teammates. It could have been some other factors, but at the end of the day, it's hard to just delete 18 million that you were owed. And in Simmons's case, 33 million. I, I don't see it either. And for what? Like what exactly are you, what, what's the principle you're standing on here? I, what is Ben Simmons accomplishing or what what um, what position is he really defending that he's willing to sacrifice 33 million for? It, it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I think if they don't find a trade sooner than later, he's back because and, and even in that scenario, too, Chris, you can't show up and say, well, I'm hurt and I can't play. No, they have a right to put you through medical tests and say, well, what's hurting? And then the league is going to back you up on that. And then the union can can file a grievance or something. I mean, it's hard to force a guy to play. But if he's with, again, if it's withholding his services, he's not fulfilling his contract. He still should be giving up the millions that he signed for because it's, he's not fulfilling his contract. And the NBA cannot let that stand. I don't know what the trade is at this point that would entice Philadelphia to pull the trigger right now. I mean, do you really want like a Colin Sexton headlined package? No. From Cleveland, um, now that Wiggins is vaccinated, that takes something off the table. You're going to deal with Golden State. Well, Joe Lake have already said and cost himself $50,000 saying it uh, that they weren't a prospect for Ben Simmons. We know Portland's off the table, at least for right now. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't see Philadelphia blinking anytime soon. I don't. And the question then becomes, will Simmons blink? Well, that I don't know. It, it, it leads back to the to two pieces of conventional wisdom that I, I disagree with. And I've talked to some people around the league who... I support my position on this or who say that they they agree. I think two things have kind of become a little overstated here. One is that Simmons's value is so depressed now. No, not really. Nothing that happened in the playoffs was new. It was a it was underscored and 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 amplified by some of the situations and especially the the passed up uh, passed up dunk and all that. But like we already knew Ben Simmons doesn't want to shoot, isn't isn't a shooter, isn't a big scorer doesn't want to get fouled. Like there's nothing that we learned new about him except that it was slightly at a higher level. The fact is this is a guy who in the recent past has been all NBA and has been part of one of the top teams in the NBA. And if you're all NBA, you're top 15 for that season. Right now I think there are you know the rankings that you know I guess I did or that anybody else did. I think he's down a little maybe in the 20s or 30s. He's got top 15 caliber talent, top 20 talent for sure. Everybody around the league knows that. They know, and they already know what his deficiencies were too. So the value is still there. You may not feel you have to pay as much because of, of the bad impression he left a few months ago, but he's still a really incredibly invaluable player who defends five positions, is going to be an annual defensive player of the year candidate, and is a great passer and is 6'10". Like, the value is still there. The other piece of conventional wisdom I would slap back at is just, well, the Sixers overplayed their hand. The Sixers are doing what you're supposed to do. Wait for the best possible deal. Have they tried to to um, juice the offers and maybe held out for too much. Yeah, that's possible. But that's what they're supposed to do, though. Like it's Danny Ainge did that for decades in Boston. And and at some point, some team will be 
needy enough or maybe even desperate enough to pull the trigger and give the Sixers what they want. So I don't think either of those two pieces of conventional wisdom are all that valuable. The market is going to dictate what Simmons's value is and what the, what the Sixers get. And it's going to be based on the fact that Ben Simmons is still an incredibly unique and incredibly talented player who in a different environment, I think was probably going to reach even, even greater heights. And the Sixers know that the team that's going to acquire him knows that those teams, as much as Daryl Morey may be asking for too much, those teams are obviously offering too little somewhere along the way here, you know, they're, they're all going to meet in the middle and there's going to be good offers, especially once we start seeing games played and we start seeing teams that expected to do well this season struggle because that's always going to happen. Someone's going to fall on their face in November and a couple of teams are going to say, you know what, time to pull the trigger on a deal for Simmons. I had a couple of executives this week compare Simmons to a better version of Draymond Green, which is the kind of comp that's been out there for a while. And even if that is what you believe Simmons to be, that's a pretty bleeping good player. <laughs> like that's Draymond Green was a key uh, key player in multiple championship teams in Golden State. One of the best defensive players at his position. So I'd want that kind of player on my roster. No question about it. Um, let's talk about the team that you hate, the Utah Jazz. You are uh, <laughs> down on the Jazz. as you Not know, down. Just sort of suggested not the Lakers. Sold. Yeah, I, I say that kind of jokingly, but I'm a little... After last season, I'm down-ish on the Jazz. Like, I had been and continue to be a staunch defender of Donovan Mitchell. Um, we all remember the Shaq interview where Shaq basically said, I don't think you're the guy. Uh, one of my consistent retorts to that was that Donovan Mitchell never really had a team around him that you expected to be championship level. Uh, the bubble year, Conley was out uh, for parts of it. Weird year, whatever. Uh, Bogdanovic was out, uh, but that was out for the entirety of the bubble. Um, but this past season... They had the pieces. And yes, Conley had injury issues early in that Clippers series, but oh, by the way, so didn't the Clippers, you know, being down Kawhi Leonard. Uh, This is a big year for the Jazz. Like, they bring back most of their roster. Uh, They make some additions. Rudy Gay is now with them. Hassan Whiteside is now with them. Uh, Mike Conley comes back on a new contract. Donovan Mitchell is a year older. Rudy Gobert is still there. Uh, Bogdanovich, all, all those guys, the key guys are still in Utah. This is the year they got to get to the finals, to me. Like, anything short of the finals for the Utah Jazz would be a disappointment. They are, a on the surface, a complete team. Jordan Clarkson, reigning sixth man. Joe Ingles, right behind him. Um, Gobert, whatever you think of him, most dominant defensive player in this game. Mitchell, another year to prove he is at the highest level. But... I just, every time I start thinking about the Jazz as a title contender, I kind of flash back to the end of last season when a Clippers team down Kawhi Leonard beat them. And that, that just doesn't sit well with me. What about you? So, one, I think you've, you've put the bar a little too high for them. I, I think a, a trip to the conference finals would be a pretty big achievement for them because they haven't been there in, in a thousand years. Um, I don't think it's finals or bust. And I also think that when your best player is you know, as young as Donovan Mitchell is, it's, it's too soon to start talking about this is a, this is a failure or they, they've, uh, or they're a disappointment, especially when you're in a conference, that's pretty tough. And I think as, as at the top has a lot of parody right now, as we were talking about earlier, I'm not going to asterisk the Jazz's postseason last year, but I will just say Donovan Mitchell was playing on that bad ankle. 
Mike Conley had the hamstring. Neither of them were healthy in the playoffs. We didn't really get the fairest look. And granted, that pales in comparison to the Clippers losing Kawhi Leonard. Correct. I I I, I give you that for sure. <laughs> that's a but Howard. That's like other than that, Mrs. Lincoln. How was the play? Like that's uh, a top five NBA player that was down. I'm just saying, if we're going to talk about them being disappointment. I want to see them at full strength and fall on their face and then say, oh, okay, they fell short at full strength. They're, they were not themselves. And the thing is, like, yes, Kawhi is a bigger loss than, than to the Clippers than the injuries of, to Mitchell and Conley. But the Jazz are more of an ensemble cast. They're not, they don't have a Kawhi Leonard, Paul George one-two punch or a LeBron and AD one-two punch. They've got Donovan Mitchell, who's really, really good, but not a perennial MVP candidate. They've got Mike Conley, who's really, really good, but is toward the twilight of his career. And I got Rudy Gobert, who is a phenomenal defender, but he's not the guy who you build a team around offensively. He's not an offensive superstar, which is what we usually see on championship-level teams. They're an ensemble cast. They're really great at what they do. They don't have the star power that typically leads you deep in the playoffs in this league. So I'm not ready in a season where they were missing their backcourt or didn't have their backcourt fully healthy to, to lay judgment. Let me just say this too, because you were very high on the Jazz last season, Chris. Mm, I and, was. And, 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 and rightfully so. So to remind people, they had uh, they were number one in, in wins. They had the number three defense and defensive uh, efficiency, number four in offensive efficiency. So top four in both offense and defensive efficiency. They were number four in true shooting percentage, number four in three-point percentage, and number one in three-pointers made. They're a great defensive team that gets the most out of their offense despite not having superstar-level talent outside of Donovan Mitchell from an offensive standpoint. They shoot a ton of threes. They make a ton of threes. There's the outline of a really, really good team here, but they have to have everybody at full strength, I think, to get all the way and to beat teams with bigger star power. So if they're not healthy, no, they're not going to knock off a LeBron team or the Clippers. Um, they they, They need things to go exactly right for them they don't have much room for error because donovan mitchell doesn't have a true co-star he doesn't and look mitchell did about as much as you can in the final two games of that series Game was it six when they lost it um that was uh, what he had 39 points in that game he was great in that one mike conley was remarkably bad in that last game going one for eight from the floor, so a lot of the spotlight goes on him. I think the Jazz is still missing wing defenders. I think that's critical um, for any team, but especially in the Western Conference. Yes. Uh, you don't have Kawhi with the Clippers this year, but Paul George is still there. LeBron, of course, uh, on the wing in L.A. Uh, Royce O'Neal's pretty good, but you need something more than that, and the Jazz didn't go out and get that. Rudy Gay's fine, but he's not that guy uh, for that team. That 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 worries me a little bit. Um they gave up a lot of points in those final two games of that series. This is a team that was a top defensive team for most of the year. And what was it, like 119 in game five, 139, something like that in game six? Like a lot of points there. Uh, Got to do better than that in the playoffs. That's for sure. Uh, so those I, defensively is where I have most of my concerns with the Jazz team. I, I, I do think Conley's still got another really good year left in him. And as you pointed out, Last last postseason, he was impacted by the hamstring issues, uh, but they've got to get better defensively. If they're not tight in the playoffs, they're not going to have a chance against those top-tier teams. I will just say this, though, too. Let's say the Lakers stumble somehow, whatever happens. 
if it's not the Lakers coming out of the West, are the Jazz really any less likely than the next tier? Phoenix, Denver, Clippers, Dallas, Portland, I guess, if you want to throw them into the conversation. Like, if you took the Lakers out of the equation, if the Lakers, if something bad happens to them, someone gets hurt, the Westbrook thing blows up in their face, something, whatever, whatever their worst-case scenario is, are the, are the Jazz any less likely to emerge than the rest of that group? Uh, no. I, I think they've got the talent, and they've now gotten to that precipice of the summit where, you know, you think the next step is to get there, to the conference finals or to the NBA finals. I just... I'm just looking for that, that. Like last year was a disappointment. The previous years, I, you can kind of excuse a lot of it away. But that was a 2-2 series when Kawhi Leonard went down. They lost the next two, including one uh, that won at home game five, which, you know, was was pretty brutal. So uh, I, I'm, I have I have some back-of-my-head concerns about the Utah Jazz going into this season. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
the Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Lastly, Howard, I guess we should touch on Kyrie, Brooklyn. Uh, we mentioned Andrew Wiggins. He got decided to get vaccinated. Uh, I'm sure money played a role in that. His teammates, uh, I don't know if they pressured him. Draymond Green said he wouldn't, but you've you know, you got other guys on that team that are very pro-vaccination, led by Steph Curry, uh, for that matter. Whatever the reason was, he decided to get vaccinated. So the Warriors are whole at this point going into the season. As we record this, Late afternoon on Monday. We have no idea what Kyrie's situation is. And the Nets are, I think they're back in Brooklyn now. Um, They have an exhibition game over the weekend at the Barclays Center. And it's still up in the air. I mean, I know Steve Nash kind of gets asked about it at every media availability. He's not answering. So I don't know if Kyrie got vaccinated. But you would think, Howard, that if he did, the Nets would want that out there. Or they'd be quick to uh, put that out. I'm just going to operate now under the assumption that Kyrie is not vaccinated. And that, as we record this again on Monday afternoon, it looks like a huge problem for Brooklyn. Every day that he's not there is a problem. And, you know, let's not forget that last season, of course, their big three barely played together. And we can talk about their talent all we want. And we talk about how overwhelming it is and how they might be one of the greatest offensive teams we've ever seen put together. But... Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant still need to play together and establish some sort of chemistry. There were times they looked spectacular together, but they just weren't together that much last season. And now he can't even practice every day with them when they're in Brooklyn. He can't play in home games. Like, you know, I mean, I, the practice thing I think is a little bit vague because I'm not sure, like, is the same, are the same rules and the, the law that New York passes? I'm not sure either. It, it's the, yeah. the Barclays Center is separate. in New York right. that is under the Right, maybe not their practice facility. Law. Right, maybe so the practice not, facility no. is, is I, th- I guess, different. But still, um, if he can't play in home exhibition games, if he, you know, couldn't be a media day, every day that he's not around his team is a day that they're feeling this this awkwardness, this strain, and they need time together. They need practices together. They need games together. Uh, let's just assume that he, he, is, he is able to practice. That's probably the case. Um, but it, you're a piece is a piece of your your team is missing a really important piece. So I do think that has an impact on chemistry. It's certainly going to have an impact, I would think, on wins at some point during the season if he's not playing in those games. It's got to be a little bit of a strain when everybody else on the team, to our knowledge, is vaccinated. And they're saying, come on, man, get with the program. Like, what are you doing? And I think that, you know, on some level, you know, look, we heard a lot of players say a lot of, I think, really silly things, frankly, last week. And silly is is, is being charitable um, in support of Andrew Wiggins last week or in support of what Draymond Green said about Andrew Wiggins, about how he didn't want to pressure him. I, I didn't really get that did, either. I mean, I, like your wife, he had a pregnancy yeah. analogy that didn't make a lot of sense. I, no, it made no, it made no sense at all. This is about public health. This is about not putting each other at risk. This is not about putting each other's families at risk, all this stuff. Whatever players might feel about not wanting to pressure each other. And there's some truth to that. You're, you're in a locker room together. Um, you don't want to, um, you want to respect the, 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 the feelings, the privacy, the beliefs, whatever of, of your teammates. Fine. 
But at some point, it's impacting you. It's impacting the ability for you to win games. It's impacting the t- chemistry of your team. They, they, they can't feel that tolerant of it. At some point, this has got to be bothering them because it's it's handicapping, uh, handicapping all of them in terms of their ability to to be as successful as possible this season. So you know one thing, you know, one thing that struck me, Howard, you know, there's a lot of chatter about the contract extensions of James Harden and Kyrie Irving. Of course, if you're the Nets, you know, you want James Harden locked up for the foreseeable future. It might not make as much financial sense for Harden to do it now for CBA reasons, but if you're the Nets, full max, whatever you want. I'm kind of struggling wondering why the Nets are offering Kyrie Irving a contract extension right now. Like, it's not... It's not like the Nets gave up a bunch of assets for Kyrie Irving. They're not in the same position that, say, the Clippers were last summer with Kawhi Leonard, where they could not afford to let him go. Regardless of the state of his knee, they had to give Kawhi Leonard whatever contract he wanted. Uh, If you're Brooklyn, why wouldn't you just play out the season with Kyrie? I mean, worst case scenario... Kyrie opts out at the end of next season and he leaves, goes somewhere else. Not guaranteed either. He, that's, you know, the Nets, he chose them. They're in his backyard. He wanted to play there. He wanted to play with Kevin Durant. But let's say he opts out and walks away. A Kevin Durant, James Harden, Joe Harris, whatever, filler around them type team is still the favorite to win the East. You're talking about two top five guys, two MVPs, two guys who this year, it's not only possible, but probable that they could be battling it out for MVP. And, and you take the Kyrie stuff away. I mean, is that not, should that not enter the equation? Like, if Kyrie has a successful year in Brooklyn, okay. If, if, they, if this all goes away, gets vaccinated, um, he leads them to a championship, plays well in the finals, all that stuff he's capable of, great, pay him. But paying him right now seems like kind of a risk, doesn't it? Or am I missing something? Like, isn't it a bit risky to kind of hand this guy an extra three years on his contract when you, at this point, have no idea if he's going to want to play in half the games this season? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd like to, to push back and, and have a, a vigorous debate with you and say, no, you got to invest when you can in Kyrie Irving. But the, the combination of the vaccine holdout and that jeopardizing his ability to play in all 82 this season to say nothing of what it might imply for the following season. We don't know where the world will be then, right? We don't know where the state of the, what the state of the pandemic will be. We don't know what the state of these laws that are on the books in New York and San Francisco will be. We don't know if those laws might extend to other cities too. And if they might start imposing it on visiting players as well as, as uh, players for the, for the teams that are based, based there. Um, who knows where any of that's going, but it's just as a matter of team building and deciding who is the the core of our team for the next three to five years. It's a risk. And it's on top of the risk that already existed where Kyrie's always been a guy who gets injured a lot. Kyrie is, you know, obviously a bit uh, of a a different personality. He sometimes just bails out for a little while. He's obviously had some burn bridges in previous places. Like there's all these other things you already have to worry about with him. And so if you're Sean Marks, if you're the Nets, if you're deciding how to invest your millions, your tens of millions for cap, of cap room for the next few years, certainly there's a risk built in. I would guess, or I would just say this, like, no, they didn't trade a bunch to get him. They signed him with cap room, but I guess you could still fall back on the principle of in the NBA, you always protect 
a valuable asset. He's still not even 30 yet. He's an incredible talent. And maybe you lock him up if you can do it at a reasonable enough number. But, but I mean, look, he's going to take, he's not going to take well, anything less no than max. Like, there is no reasonable number. There is no reasonable. Yeah, it's, it, it's max. Right. And... It's max or nothing. But you, if you lock him up, you're preserving some ability to say, if it doesn't work out here long-term, we can flip him for something else. But the problem is, yeah, because he's automatically going to be a max guy and was never going to sign anything less than that, you might put yourself in a position that the Wizards were in with with John Wall or or with Westbrook or other situations where you've, you've got a guy who's really, really good, but it's just hard to move a, four, a guy making 40, 45 million, especially if there are some asterisks by his name. So Look, I'm just saying, like, there's no... I mean, yes, Kyrie could walk. That's the downside in not extending him right now. But if he plays great the Nets will still be in position to offer him the most money and the maximum number of years. True. So you're still in an advantageous True. position. Look, if it was just Kevin Durant, you do everything you can to sign Kyrie Irving, damn the consequences, you know, whatever whatever risk you may be taking. But the fact that it's Kevin Durant and James Harden, Kevin Durant still in his prime, James Harden still in his prime, both these guys still great players who are better than any twosome right now in the NBA, with apologies to LeBron and AD and, and whoever else is out there. Like these... These guys are great. Uh, I, I I think I'd be more cautious before I go all in on Kyrie Irving. That's just me. But I, look, it, absolutely, and I, I will. It just reminded me of this: that when they the, the uh, moment that the Nets acquired Harden, and I was wondering if it was if this was just too much. Harden and Durant and Kyrie, a lot of guys need the ball. Blah blah, the usual stuff. Did they really need to make that one more move when they already had two really elite offensive players? And I, I asked Sean Marks on that Zoom presser that day, was there at least some piece of this? Because remember, this is right after Kyrie had ducked out for whatever, a couple weeks. I said, was there any piece of this where it was like a little bit of a hedge against whether, you know, Kyrie's going to be around? Sean Marks said, no, 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 of course not. We just want James Harden. We want all three of them. Okay, fine. But long term and where they're sitting right now with the vaccine holdout and everything else, you're seeing just how valuable that other piece of it is. Like, okay, if you lose one, you still have two. And Kyrie was the one that you always had to be the most concerned about because he's just a volatile individual. And so, yeah, they can afford to let him walk as long as they've got Harden and Durant and as long as Durant stays healthy. And you've got the NBA's best three-point shooter like there. Like Joe Harris, you know, is great. Two of the last three years led the NBA in three-point shooting. So I think you you got some... You're in a favorable position uh, if you're Brooklyn. Uh, Howard, good stuff, man. Look forward to your next episode on Friday. You just have to stay subscribed to this feed uh, for that. And when we come back, Shaq. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune 
Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Shaquille O'Neal is here, Basketball Hall of Famer, TNT analyst. His foundation is working with Icy Hot on Comeback Courts, an initiative that will refurbish basketball courts in underserved communities. And Shaq joins me on the show. Shaq, I was looking, doing our preview issue this week. Nikola Jokic, the reigning MVP. Joel Embiid, maybe a front runner for MVP. Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year. It's a league, man, that got smaller kind of after you retired or trending that direction. Are big men making a comeback? Big men definitely are making a comeback, uh, you know, especially on the offensive end. You know, for a couple of years, just pick, pop, run, screen and roll, rebound, outlet, and nobody really had a guy that they can go to. You know, the good thing about uh, Jokic is that even though he's seven foot, he can still play out on the wing uh, a la point guard. So, 
it's they're, they're coming back, but they're not the traditional back to the basket big man. And, you know the game. <laughs> you know game has changed. I, I I see it all the time. I think it's something Charles and I have to learn how to adapt to because we hate watching it. I hate seeing a guy seven foot with a guy six nine on him, and you want to pick and pop. But you know how it goes. Did you hear Joel Embiid at media day said he's going to shoot more threes this season? Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> I, I, I hope it works for him. But, you know, when you're touted as a great player, it's only two lists you can be on. So uh, good luck with that. And especially when you play against the teams that are more timely, like Brooklyn and Milwaukee. You know, if you're hot, it works. But if, if you're not hot, What's your go-to plan? Mm. And he's such a dominant guy too on the low post, at least in this generation. I wouldn't use I wouldn't use the D word. He, <laughs> he's uh, pretty good, really good, pretty good. But I would not. But I would not use the D word. Fair. Should be reserved for a select few, right? Exactly. MB <laughs> um, got a lot of questions, as you would figure, about Ben Simmons. Doc Rivers got a lot of questions about Ben Simmons. What's been your kind of takeaway from watching that situation unfold? I don't know why he's upset. You know, of course, you know, there's there's bashing. There's facts. Everything everybody's been saying has been facts, especially with the amount of money that you're making, $200 million. You're a superstar. Uh, in playoffs, you have to step up. That's the name of the game. They, 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 you step up in Philly. They, you know, we, they, they're used to Iverson, Dr. J, Barkley. They expect you to step up. The whole world seen the man terrified to play in the fourth quarter in crunch time. He's going to the hole. He has Trey Young on him. All you got to do is you go up and dunk it or lay it off the glass. But no, what does he do? He dribbles under the basket and passes to somebody else. The process has run its course. So, again, I don't know why he's upset. I think he has bad advice in his corner. Like, I always had a couple people say, hey, yeah, you're averaging 28, but you you stink. You, you, you're shooting 40% from the free throw line. When you get to the playoffs, you don't hit the shots you needed. You know, you don't make the right, right plays. You stink. Yeah, you, you walk around with rap albums and commercials, but you stink. If you ever want to win championships, you have to turn it up. I had people to tell me that. So obviously he don't have nobody telling him, you know, what's really going on. And I said this and I stand by what I say. You want to be a good player? You want to be a great player or you want to be the best ever? Got your 200 million. You got your actress girlfriend. If, if, if you know, this is what you want, cool with me. I, I understand. But, you know, us, other people, the Iversons and Dr. J's and Barker, we wanted to, go to that next level and we did whatever it takes work on your game don't don't show us tweets of you hitting jumpers and on the instagram and then when you get to the fourth quarter don't shoot so me personally i don't know why he's mad and then the second question i have is okay you want to be traded who's going to take you who's going to take you nobody's nobody's giving up good pieces for a guy that don't want to shoot in the fourth quarter i'm not I'm not taking that $200 million salary. I'm not taking it. So, you know, I know you're not coming to camp and you want to be traded, but, you know, a good team, Philadelphia, they're going to want to get good pieces for you. And I'm not giving up a a piece that's uh, that can shoot better than you and that's more aggressive than you in the fourth quarter. So, 
he probably gonna have to go back to Philly or just sit out of here. That fear that you see in him and so many others see in him as a player, do you see that as being fixable? Yeah, something, it's something, it's something you have to go through. Like Phil always used to say, I'm not bailing you out. I'm not bailing you out. I know you're two for 14 right now, but guess what? You don't make them, we don't win. That's all he would say. He said, we're coming to you every time. I know they're hacking shaker. I'm not bailing you out. Not bailing you out, putting in John Sally. You know, or if he did bail me out, he would chew me out. Come on, man. This ain't what we talked about. Drink some water. Go back out there. I need you to knock him down. So, yeah, you just have to you just have to go through it. And you have to develop your own confidence. Or you have to not care. I, I didn't care that I didn't miss. And what I and, and you know, don't you know take that the wrong way. I shot him, I miss him, now it's over. I'm pissed. Now I gotta go get this next one, right? So, you know, I can't go, oh I miss, uh, here you shoot, uh, you shoot. Like luckily I had another great weapon to to you know pull me out when I did miss, but you still gotta be aggressive. Giannis is a perfect example. He's not a great free throw shooter. What did he do? Stayed aggressive every time he shot air balls in the playoffs. What do you do? Came back to the next play and, and, and just – so it's something you got to go through. But You you must have rolled your eyes a little bit watching Doc Rivers kind of try to explain that he wasn't criticizing Ben Simmons last year when he said – you know, I mean, like, can you imagine Phil Jackson, you know, kind of saying – trying to soften that up? Well, you know, there's, there's criticism. Like, my mother told me one time, before you get mad, son, honey, buddy, See if there's any truth in the criticism, right? Oh, Shaq's a great player, but he missed a lot of free throws. I can't get mad at that. I can't, right? That, 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 that's just the truth. So can you win with Ben Simmons? No, you can't. So, you know, Ben's a little upset. If I'm upset, I'm working on my game all summer. Or I'm coming in, me, Perry Rogers, me, Danny McLaughlin, professionally, Okay, you don't think you can win with me? I understand. I don't want to be here. Either. Let's not make this a whole media thing. Let's handle the business right now. I would like to be traded. I'm not going to disrespect y'all. I hope y'all don't disrespect me. You know, because you still have to maintain some sort of professionalism. Mm-hmm. So, um, One question for you on your former team, the Lakers. You know, it, you can probably make an argument, Shaq, that last season – AD doesn't get hurt. They get to the finals, and who knows what happens there. Kind of three options they had. One, bring the band back. Two, go get Buddy healed, which seemed like it was on the table. And three, do the Westbrook stuff and, and shake things up that way. What do you make of the direction they chose with Russell Westbrook? I like it. Because you, you got another guy that's really a great player, doesn't get the credit he deserves, but he's hungry. And this is his opportunity to get the monkey off his back. It's his opportunity. So they're going to have two problems. Not really problems. They're going to have to manage their egos, and they're going to have to stay healthy. They do that, no team's going to beat them. And that's it, plain and simple. Age, age doesn't matter in this era. Let me tell you why. In the old era, it was a physical game. Game's not physical. Game is every, every team's running the same play. Come down, pick and pop. LeBron will pay three more years. He needs 18 points the next two years to pass up Kareem or Dujabar. He will do that. You don't get tired from running and jumping. 
you get tired from banging, running, and jumping, plus the flagrant foul. That's what gets you tired. But <laughs> so you know, if everybody stays healthy, they can manage their egos and just focus on the the, the task at hand. Only team I see them mess around with them is Brooklyn. But with all the unrest going on in Brooklyn, I don't I don't know what's going to happen with uh, them. Yeah, it's another story uh, altogether. Uh, you are working with Icy Hot on comeback courts. You're refurbishing basketball courts in select communities. Tell me what you're you're doing and why you decided to do it. Because when I was young, I always had the opportunity to go outside and play. I think a lot of kids need to go outside and play. I don't want the next Westbrook, Durant, Kobe to be in the car and go to a court and be like, nah, I'm not going to play today. Right, because when I lived on a military basis, my courts were immaculate, lines paved, nets. Like at the chain when the nets are mixed up, they send somebody from engineering to come fix it. I want these kids to, you know, have had the same thing. I'm doing it in Newark, New Jersey, because that's where I'm from. That's where I started playing basketball in Las Vegas. I live here in Las Vegas. A pet peeve of mine is riding by a court. It's so simple to fix up: paint, lines. Backboard and net. That's anybody can do it, but if they don't do it, I'll do it. It just it saddens me to ride by, and also get jealous because you, you look at all these soccer fields and softball fields. They got the lights, <laughs> they got the bleachers, but my courts, my courts ain't really looking too good. So you know, ICI and I we're gonna team up, and uh, like I said, uh, I'm doing something on Twitch, October 18th at 5 p.m. Uh, I see how NBA 2K is going to be a charity game awareness. You know, and, you know, we just want to, you know, ask for people's helps. And it's an event that you don't want to miss. We'll have a lot of esports celebrities. And, you know, we're going to be uh, playing for a great cause. No doubt. Shaq, great cause, great work by you. Appreciate your time. And uh, always, uh, I've always told one of my favorite ball boy stories from my days back in the Celtics, Shaq, is – the day you and I think it was your security man gave me a wedgie in uh, in the Celtics visiting locker room. I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. That is accurate. Somebody told you that I was talking shit about you, which I wasn't, and uh, you cornered me, and I got lifted up. I'm going to plead the fifth because I have. That's <laughs> this is not this is a first person account. First person account. No, but I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying. I got to look at my documents to see if the statute of limitations is up there. Well, based on these documents, the statute of limitations is not up. I'm not allowed to talk about the incident in question, sir. (laughs) Shaq, great to talk to you, man. I hope to see you soon. All right, bye-bye. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host 
host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.